Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead in Aquinnah. Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old USA. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. Mm-hmm. May God bless you. Scripture reading is a short one, but a one hit one. John chapter 3, verse 8. Where the wind the wind blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. Appropriate reading last week was Pentecost. that's when we celebrate the spirit coming down and being poured out on all peoples 2020 something years ago ish so there's a story about a japanese zen master from the 17th century his name was bankai ever heard of bankai folks yep you know bankai yep all right right the unborn bankai when he was a teenager he was a seeker. He started seeking after truth because he was in school and they were teaching Confucius. And they were teaching about something called bright virtue. And, and Bankai looks around and he says, I don't see any of that around here. Do you? So he starts searching for it. He starts searching for bright virtue, how to cultivate it. Bright virtue, exactly what it sounds like. You know, Confucius was trying to teach people how to be virtuous bright virtue and his search leads him to many different Buddhist masters throughout Japan and he just never finds what he's looking for he's scrupulous (coughs) he would meditate and pray in a hut without eating and without taking care of himself and one day he was so malnourished he came down with tuberculosis and just as he thought he was going to die of it He hacks up a ball of blood that lands on the wall and and sticks to it. And as it slowly drips down, if you can picture this, this is this guy's hero origin story. As that ball of bloody phlegm is just dripping down the wall, he has an epiphany. And in his words, he says, suddenly, just at that moment, I realized what it was that had escaped me until now. All things are perfectly resolved in the unborn." End quote. And it lands on the ground. Well, what's the unborn? What's the unborn? He, he said it was the source of all being and, and that this source of all being was the natural inherent state of man. I'd be willing to wager it was kind of like what we, we would call the logos or the image of imago Dei, the image of God. So, Bankai went around preaching. And this is 17th century 
Japan. And his teaching stunned everyone around him because he didn't go around saying, here's what I teach, if you wanna learn it, follow me, come up to the mountain, join my temple. He didn't, he didn't do any of that. He didn't say, if you wanna be enlightened, study this particular sutra that I wrote, you read it, you'll become enlightened. He didn't do that. He didn't ask anyone to follow him. He didn't ask anyone to study anything. He said, if they had faith in the unborn, they'd spontaneously realize that they were already enlightened by nature, okay? And his claim was that the reason is that our humanity's basic state is the unborn, and the unborn is enlightenment itself. That's what he taught. And this was a big departure from the rest of the Zen masters. He kind of considered them a racket. He's like, oh, they're just doing it for the money or for the ego, right? Because they all said, if you want to be enlightened, you have a lot of work to do, and I, only I can teach you how to do it, right? You have to meditate, you have to study scriptures, all sorts of things, but with me, right? And he's like, nah, you, you can do it yourself if you just realize it, you know? So some of these other Zen masters challenged him, and, and one said, I, I don't have any respect for you. How do you expect me to obey you? And so Ben Kai challenges this man. He says, well, come up here and we'll have it out in a debate. So the old Zen master comes up and makes his way up to the stage. And Ben Kai says, there, you just obeyed me. So I told you to come up and he came up. And another Zen master challenges Ben Kai to work a miracle. And this guy, he takes a brush and he writes a sacred word in the air. And then several feet away, the word shows up on a piece of paper. And he says, beat that. And Bunkai turns to him and he turns to the crowd and he says, my miracle is that when I'm hungry, I eat. And when I'm tired, I sleep. And, and how is that a miracle? Is he being a wise aleck? No, he's being actually pretty wise because where others see this as mundane, he sees a miracle. He sees the unborn at work expressing itself in a miraculous way. That is pretty wild. When we're hungry, we feed ourselves. What is that? Who put that there? Why is it so logical, right? It's, it's so logical and we take for granted that that's a miracle. That's why I said the unborn might be a little bit like what we call logos, okay? The stories about Bankai say that just listening to him made people enlightened because he showed them a new way of seeing things. And it's all about that new way of seeing things. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So I got to thinking about Bangkai because when I was in Rhode Island last weekend, uh, someone asked me there about my faith in ministry. They're like, you just, played rock and roll from 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. and you, you mean to tell me that you're a, you're a preacher man? I said, yep. So this person wasn't a church person and she didn't consider herself religious. You know, she said, I'm spiritual, not religious. I said, oh, I know all about that. And uh, she studies books about Buddhism and all that stuff. And that's my background. That's why I often drop that stuff into my sermons. That's my old background before I became a Christian. So she was curious about Jesus and I was helping her understand what Jesus was all about through Buddhist teachings. And um, 
And I told her that Bankai's Unborn is kind of a good reference for the Logos and the image of God. And it's, it's God's nature that's reflected in ours, you know, in how we were created. And that's what we all hope to return to. That's what we all hope to be restored to in, in our longing for redemption, right? In the Christian teaching of redemption. In order to do it, we have to repent. And what that means is we actually have to change our way of thinking and seeing and develop a new way of seeing, right? In order for that image to be restored. And that comes by grace through faith in Christ, as the Bible says, okay? And she said, okay, that's, that's a novel way to have Christianity explained in Buddhist terms. No one had ever said that to her. Uh, and she said, so is that what you preach at church? She said, not really. This Sunday I will because of this conversation, but no. And she asked, what do you preach every week? I said, well, I'm usually preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And, and, and she asked, what is that exactly? And I, I had to think about it. Like, okay, what is that? Okay. I said, it's like Newtopia. You ever heard of Newtopia? She had. John Lennon and Yoko Ono in, in 1972, when John Lennon was having immigration issues, um, they had a press conference and they announced the birth of a conceptual country named Newtopia. And in the press release, it says, citizenship of the country can be obtained by your, your declaration of your awareness of Newtopia. Newtopia has no land, no boundaries, no passports, only people. Newtopia has no laws other than cosmic. All people of Newtopia are ambassadors of Newtopia. Right? Get it? I, I told this nice lady that the kingdom of God is like that. That's what it's like. At the heart of it, the kingdom of God is not something that we expect to come or be founded and have all these rules and boundaries. It's something that's revealed, that you see, that you declare awareness in. In the same way that Bankai taught that enlightenment was about a new way of seeing things, it's actually the same thing with the kingdom of God itself. Once you have a new way of seeing things, you can take part in the world revealed by that new way of seeing things. So just like citizenship and utopia, utopia can be obtained by a declaration of your awareness of utopia, citizenship in the kingdom of God comes with a declaration of your awareness of the kingdom of God, right? And it sounds simple, but they had to write whole books about it, you know, in the Bible. Jesus talked about this in John 3. He's talking to Nicodemus and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Does he have to crawl back into his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of spirit. Don't be amazed that I said you got to be born again. So he's talking about being born of water and spirit. How does that have anything to do with making a declaration of your awareness? Being born of water, he's referring to baptism. That's 
declaration of awareness. That is an outward declaration of an inward awareness. That's the water part. The inward awareness is the spirit part, right? Right. And what is the, the awareness that Jesus is referring to, right? The, it's what the spirit reveals. That's what it's referring to. Because just a few verses later, Jesus talks about what the spirit reveals in no uncertain terms. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Believes in him, sees it, right? Has awareness of it. Okay, so baptism is our declaration of awareness in our version of Newtopia, which is the kingdom of God, okay? And in our declaration of, of awareness, it's our belief, it's our faith that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the founding document of the kingdom of God. That's the founding idea, right? And what I told this person in Rhode Island was, was that no matter what, whether she believes in the kingdom of God or not, it's real. So it is a matter of whether you see it or not. That's why Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And, and just because it might not be real for her doesn't mean that it's not real. It might seem hidden, but it's not because it's some kind of secret society that's intentionally hidden by its, its members, but it's because the kingdom of God, uh, it exists, but we don't know how to see it. We don't know how to see it if we don't see it. And in that way, it's like Bankai, right? He taught that everyone was already enlightened. They just didn't know how to see it yet, right? He taught that everyday life was a miracle, but they needed a new way to see in order to see it, right? And similarly, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus was totally clear about that. He said, if you want to see the spiritual kingdom of God, then the new way of seeing that you need is spiritual, and that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said before he died, when the spirit of truth comes, then he's going to guide you into all truth, into all truth. They're asking, when's the kingdom going to come? You're going, you're going to your death. When's this kingdom going to come? You don't have a lot of time to, to bring this kingdom. He says, I have to go. If I don't go, the spirit won't come. But when the spirit comes, he'll show you all the truth about this thing you're asking about, about the kingdom, all the truth. Well, the spirit came at Pentecost actually quite a while after, after Jesus died and was resurrected. And by the way, thousands of years ago, right? And when the spirit came, take note of what the apostles did. They preached the kingdom of God by raising awareness that Jesus Christ was risen. Raising awareness that Jesus Christ was risen and that he is Lord and Christ. And, and Peter, the first to preach on Pentecost, he quoted prophet Joel saying, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then he said, this is happening right now. God is pouring out his spirit on all these people. The spirit was being poured out on all the people to guide them into the truth. 
And the truth is that Christ is risen and he is king and therefore the kingdom of God is in your midst, right? It's not that on the day of Pentecost that the kingdom had come. It's that the, the kingdom was being revealed through the spirit to all these people that the spirit was being poured out on. In case, in case I have to say it again, God was already king, right? Jesus was already Lord. He'd already come saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He knew it. The apostles just didn't know it yet. They were still asking him up until the day he died. But when the spirit was poured out on all of them, that's when they received a new way of seeing. And that new way of seeing showed them the kingdom. And that's why the apostles started preaching. And that's why the thousands that they preached to started seeing it. So ask yourself, how do you see the world, right? If Bankai were to come by, would he blow your mind? Or do you already look at the world like it's a miracle, you know? Um, because I think that's step one. I think step two is if an apostle were to come by and say, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, can you see that, right? I challenge everyone to let that spirit guide you into all truth, right? And to give you a new way of seeing. And you might ask, how do I do that, right? What does that actually mean? That's what Nicodemus wanted to know. How is one actually born of the spirit? How does one actually gain that new way of seeing in the spirit and that's why jesus gave his enigmatic answer that we talked about today he said the wind goes where it chooses blows where it wants and you can hear it but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going that's how it is with everyone born of the spirit he's saying don't worry about how the spirit has a mind of its own just trust it you might not know where it's coming from, like what its purpose is. You might not know where it's going, where it's going to take you. But you hear it, right? The still, small voice. That's all you got. You just hear it, and it says what it wants to you. The history of Christianity, it's, it's full of stories about men like Bankai. Actually, men and women like Bankai. Bankai was rare in, in his culture because it was a Buddhist culture. Buddhism is a pretty works-based religion, right? So his message of the unborn was, was novel and unusual. But Christianity is a religion of grace. So actually, some people say because of grace, it's not even a religion, right? They, they say it's, 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 ironically, it might actually be the very definition of spiritual but not religious because it's based around the Holy Spirit, right? Breaking down all these walls of religion and, and, uh, and authority, right? That's why they put Jesus to death. It, it's, it just breeds this way of thinking and look at the history. Like, for example, you got George Fox, you got Mary Dyer. George Fox said, the Lord showed me, the Lord showed me. This is a, the guy in the 17th, 18th century. The Lord God showed me so that I did see clearly that he did not dwell in these temples which men had commanded and set up, but in people's hearts. His people were his temple and he dwelt in them. George Fox, right? 
the Quaker, he and his followers would go into churches and, and, and to the face, rebuke the priests and say, where's your authority come from? What gives you the authority to stand over people here and to, you know, to ask them to confess their sins and then personally uh, forgive them or to tell them what to do? You know, he challenged their, their, their priestly authority and their pastoral authority and their ruling authority. He said, instead, God wants direct relationships with people. That's why he sent Jesus. The only mediator is Christ. And, and, and when you believe in him, God, God makes you like him, right? Mary Dyer also believed this. She challenged the Puritans who ruled over the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And she believed in freedom of conscience and, conscience and, a, and a spiritual life similarly unregulated by spiritual or religious, excuse me, religious authority, right? And when those religious authorities put her to death, in Boston Common, her last words showed how much more important the spirit was to her than anything else in the world. And she says, this to me, this is, she has a noose around her neck. She says, this to me is the hour of greatest joy I've ever had in this world. No ear can hear, no tongue can utter, and no heart can understand the sweet incomes and the refreshings of the spirit of the Lord which I now feel. Whew. In the past, we also talked about local legend, Jonathan Mayhew, right? My wife's ancestor, and he was the preacher in Boston who, who inspired the founding fathers to act in the name of their own freedom of conscience, not just against religious authorities, but also even civil authorities in England. So what is it about Christianity that inspires such naughty behavior? It's the spirit. The spirit gives us a new way of seeing. That's life-changing and in the greatest of ways, it makes you see yourself and your relationships to people and the world and the world itself in a whole new way because with this new way of seeing, you see a new you. You see new relationships. You, you see a new world, right? Because you see God's world. You see the kingdom of God. God says, behold, I'm making all things new. God's saying, look, look, I'm making all things new right now. Do you see it? Are you looking? Can you see it, right? That's what the spirit does. The spirit shows you all the things that God is making new. So that when God says, look, the Spirit's like, okay, I'll help you. It gives us a new way of seeing. And in that newness, there's a profound freedom that comes from knowing God's liberating love. That's where all the naughty behavior comes from. It feels free. The Spirit has inspired, inspired people in this way since the beginning, right? So let's look at those first days when the Spirit was first poured out on people in Pentecost, okay? So going back to that story, it's in Acts chapter two. We need to take note of something very important. When Peter announces the kingdom of God, he quotes Joel. And the first words of this prophecy are, in the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people in the last days. Very important. Because we all think of last days in terms of something that's going to come, some calamity that's going to come. We watch the news, we watch the Middle East closely, especially Israel, and we wonder, all oh, the last days upon us because of those rockets firing down in Israel and Gaza right now. Maybe this is it. Maybe these are the last days. But the apostle doesn't quote Joel on the last days and say, we got to wait another 2,000 years for this to happen. He says, he says, this is happening now. Everyone act and respond now because these days are upon us. This is what Joel's talking about because he's going to pour out the spirit on all the people. That's what happened, right? The apostles are very clear that they were living in the last days. The question is the last days of what? The last days of what? The old covenant. That's what they were talking about. Okay. This is important because we talk about a God who makes all things new. So let's get into this for a second because when they were preaching on Pentecost, Jesus had already come. The Messiah had already come. And he'd already cut a new covenant in his blood. He was offering a new way to anyone who wanted it. But the old covenant was still standing, okay? The temple, the priesthood, and the law. Still standing, but his days were numbered. It was the last days of that old way. You follow? And within just 40 years, just 40 years, the old way was gone. There was no more temple. There was no more priesthood. St. Paul said, when the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed. That means the old law was no more, okay? And there was no more priesthood. It was replaced by that really confusing thing in, in, in Hebrews, where he says, it's replaced by the royal priesthood of Jesus at the, the order of Melchizedek, right? And it's replaced by the royal priesthood of all believers, of the church. What do you call a community of royal priests? Except a royal kingdom of priests who serve God, a kingdom of God, right? So just as Jesus had promised his generation had not passed away until all the words of the prophets were fulfilled. The days had finally come when a new covenant was made with the people of God. Not like the old one in the desert, but a new and better one where he writes the laws in the minds and writes it in the heart, just like Jeremiah promised. Okay? By AD 70, the old way was gone. It had passed away completely. There was only the new way. The kingdom of God had been taken from those of the old way, right? And given to those of the new way, not just Jews only, but anyone upon whom God poured out the spirit of faith in Christ. It had been taken and given to a people who bears the fruit of it. Like Jesus said in Matthew 21, 43. And what he means by fruit is the fruit of the spirit, right? That's the fruit by which you know the truth. You will know them by the fruits. The tree is the kingdom of God. Okay? Where the fruits are, there the kingdom is. And if you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see it, then you will see the kingdom. Just like Jesus said, that last part is really, really important. And it's often forgotten. Because you mean to tell me that the, the, the kingdom of God already came? Right? If we look at it as this last days thing, 
That's mind-blowing, but that's exactly what we're saying. That's exactly what the Bible says. It's not hard to see why. If you give it a chance, people often forget that God's kingdom is spiritual. When we talk about it like God's kingdom. Oh, the church is spiritual. We can, we can say that, you know, and God's temple is spiritual. But we don't want to say that equals God's kingdom sometimes. No, God's kingdom is spiritual. That was the whole thing. You might think I'm still waiting around for God's kingdom to come. You might be watching current events in Middle East looking for the kingdom to come with observable signs, right? You might be listening to people who are saying, look, there it is, it's coming over there. Or look, here it is, it's with me, right? And you might forget that thousands of years ago, Jesus said the kingdom does not come with observable signs. It can't be pinpointed to a specific location and it doesn't have a specific appearance. But the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. If you miss this, you miss the entire good news. And it's really old news, by the way. Really old news. The apostles on Pentecost were equally clear. The kingdom is in your midst. That is what they preach. That was already old news because Jesus had already preached that. But it wasn't until the Spirit came and guided them into all truth and gave them a new way of seeing so that they could declare their awareness that the kingdom is here. Jesus is Lord. And in those last days of the old ways, the Spirit was poured out, just like Joel promised, so that all the people, Jews, non-Jews, no boundaries anymore. Anybody, anybody and everybody received this spirit and received a new way of seeing. And they turned toward the new way and they entered the kingdom of God. And, and that's what they called it, by the way, the new way. They called it the way. The way. Being a follower, a follower of the way sometimes got them into trouble because of the naughty behavior, right, that comes out of it. The new way is a life of the spirit, whereas the old way was a life of rules and works. All the priests, all the rulers who were in charge of the old way, they lost control over the people who became followers of the new way, right? The people of the new way had a new way of seeing. And they didn't need the priests and rulers to show them how to live anymore, how to tell them how to get into the kingdom of God because they had the spirit guiding them into all truth and they looked around for themselves and said, oh my God, Jesus did it. <laughs> he did it, it's here. So even though in this story in Acts, uh, the Jewish version of the old way, we call it the old way, passed away in the first century, Another way to think about it is the old way still exists everywhere today in many other forms. The old ways, right? The old way is the way of the world. Rules and works, even with the best intentions. This is something I think about a lot watching the world today. What do we say, for instance, when we talk now in our day about how to fight racism? We often say we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. We need to do more work. But that's kind of the old way at work. Compare that to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
who was a new way man, he preached about a new way of seeing. Okay, he had a dream. He had a dream, he had a vision. That's what he preached about. He preached about a new way of seeing. And as a follower of the way, he preached the new and living way opened up by the blood of Christ Jesus. A new and living way of reconciliation based on love and forgiveness. He offered more than just a hope of racial equality in America. He shared a vision of the kingdom of God itself. That's why he was so effective. He was sharing God's blueprint for our lives. And he was able to do this because the spirit guided him into all truth. And he was shown the same truth that St. Peter was shown thousands of years ago when, when the spirit told St. Peter, God does not show favoritism, but welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. He has sent this message to the people of Israel, proclaiming the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The future for humanity is in the new way, where God's making all things new. That's where our peace is. If we can see it, if we can share that dream, right? If we can have that vision. And this new and living way that Jesus gives us, it's not work, it's grace, right? We don't have to work toward it. We simply need to see it with a new way of seeing and walk in that faith. That's true of peace. It's true of forgiveness. It's true of all good things, of love, of success, of friendship, of marriage, right? A new way of seeing can enrich and renew our lives. A new way of seeing comes from the spirit. The spirit will guide you into all truth. By the way, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Okay, James chapter one, five. Well, doesn't that sound pretty easy? It sounds so easy. Oh, it's so easy. It's, it's as easy as Bankai saying everything is resolved perfectly in the unborn. It's as easy as joining Newtopia, but where, where these lack a firm foundation, in Christ, you have an unshakable rock of a foundation from a story in history saying, this man accomplished all these purposes of God. And now there's a kingdom here for you. In Christ who lived and died and rose again for us, we can truly say all things work together for the good of those that love God. Everything is resolved perfectly in him. In Christ, God reconciles all things, all things to himself, heavenly and earthly. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. His love is right here for you in all its glory if you have eyes to see it with a new way of seeing. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.